0: This is from Daniel 6. King Darius reorganized his kingdom. He appointed 120 governors to administer all parts of his realm. And over them were three vice regents of one who was Daniel. The governors reported to the vice regents who made sure that everything was in order for the king. But Daniel, brimming with Spirit and intelligence just completely outclassed the other vice regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. The vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal and skeleton in Daniel's life that they could use against him, but they couldn't dig up anything. He was totally exemplary and trustworthy. They could find no evidence of negligence or misconduct. So they finally gave up and said, we're never going to find anything against this Daniel unless we can cook up something religious. The vice regents and governors conspired together and they went to the king and said, King Darius live forever. We convened with your vice regents, governors, and all your leading officials and have agreed that the king should issue the following decree. For the next 30 days, no one is to pray to any god or mortal except you, O king. Anyone who disobeys will be thrown into the lion's den. Issue this decree, O king, and make it unconditional, as if it written in stone like all the laws of the Medes and the Persons. And King Darius signed the decree. When Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted, he continued to pray just as he had always done. His house had windows in the upstairs, opened and facing Jerusalem. And three times a day, he knelt down, praying and thanking and giving praise to his God. The conspirators came and found him praying. Asking God for help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him of the royal decree that he signed. Did you not, they said, sign a decree forbidding anyone to pray to any God or man except you, O God, for the next 30 days? And anyone caught doing it would be thrown into the lion's den. Absolutely, said the king, written in stone like all the laws of the Medes and Persians. Then they said, Daniel, one of the Jews, exiles, ignores you, O king, and defies your decree three times a day, he prays. At this, the king was very upset and tried his best to get Daniel out of the fix he'd put him in. He worked at it the whole day long. But then the conspirators were back. Remember, O king, it is the law. Of the Medes and Persians that the king's decree can never be changed. The king caved in and ordered Daniel brought and thrown into the lion's den. But he said to Daniel, your God to whom you are so loyal is going to get you out of this. A stone slab was placed over the opening of the den and the king sealed it with his signet ring and the signet rings of all his nobles, fixing Daniel's fate. The king then went back to his palace. He refused supper. He couldn't sleep and he spent the whole night fasting. At daybreak, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den and as he approached, he called out anxiously, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you so loyally served, saved you from the lions? O king, live forever, said Daniel. My God sent his angel who so closed the mouth of the lions that they, they would not hurt me. I have been found innocent before God and also before you. O king, I have done nothing to hurt you. When the king heard these words, he was happy. He ordered Daniel taken out of the den, and when he was hauled up, there was not a scratch on him. He had trusted his God. And then the king commanded the conspirators who had informed on Daniel, be thrown in the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they hit the floor, the lions had him in their jaws, tearing them to pieces. King Darius published this proclamation to every race, color, and creed on earth. Peace be with you, abundant peace. I decree that Daniel's God shall be worshiped and feared in all parts of my kingdom. He is the living God. Word would now end. His kingdom never falls, his rules continue eternally, and he is a savior and a rescuer he performs astonishing miracles in heaven and on earth he saved daniel from the power of the lions from then on daniel was treated well during the reign of darius and also in the following reign of cyrus the persian
1: good to be with you all welcome to church silence <laughs> You guys are so unwelcoming. Thank you so much, Linda. Great to turn to the Bible. That's Daniel chapter six. Let's pray. And then we're gonna take some time just unpacking those verses. God, thank you so much in your presence that you're among us and you know us. You are awesome. You are truly great. You are powerful. You are glorious. And tonight we invite you to speak to us and move among us. God, help me to speak and help us to hear. Have your way here. God, thank you for your salvation plan. You don't just save people from lions. You save people from lost eternities. You save people from hell. You save people from their sins. And Jesus Christ, you are the savior, the one who died on the cross and rose again and can save anyone. So God, I give this time to you now. I pray, enable me to unpack these verses and I pray you'd speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week, um, the world lost a great hero. Just over a week ago, Billy Graham uh, passed away. And, you know, I, I guess if I we went around the room, I'd probably get a number of Billy Graham stories. Uh, you'd be shocked at how many Billy Graham stories there are. I mean, I wouldn't be here today wearing off for Billy Graham. So in 1955, uh, I was 10. no. <laughs> In 1955, my mum uh, went to a Billy Graham crusade in the Kelvin Hall in Glasgow, and it was there that Mum decided I'm going to follow Jesus. And if it wasn't Mum deciding to follow Jesus, I wouldn't have had that mum who was praying for me to come to know God. And, and it was short. Actually, it was shortly after Billy Graham's crusade in, in 1991 uh, in Edinburgh. I came to hear him in Murrayfield, and uh, it was about about a month after that. I went there, I was impacted and it triggered a sequence of events which led to me a month after that becoming a follower of Jesus. So thank God for Billy Graham. Um, remarkable man. Conducted 400 crusades around the world. He preached in over 185 countries to audiences adding up to 215 million people. He was a spiritual advisor to many of the presidents, Uh, Harry Truman, Barack Obama, and president that was alive during his lifetime. So God really used Billy Graham. So his his traveling team, uh, his ministry team, there were four of them. Uh, There was Cliff Barrows, that's on the left there, and then there was Grandy Wilson, Billy Graham, and George Beverly Shea. And they, together, they realized that what they were doing was so significant and the influence they were having was so huge, they decided to come up with a manifesto. Their manifesto was how they were going to operate with integrity throughout the years of their ministry. And probably because they had such high standards of integrity, it's probably because of that that they became such influential people uh, for, for the generations That they 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 impacted and lived. So this was the manifesto. Four things they resolved to do. They decided that first of all, money. That they were going to have high standards of accountability in their handling of money. You can imagine running huge crusades. Large amounts of money would pass through their hands, and they had to have an integrity. They had to be squeaky clean in the handling of money. So they had high levels of financial accountability. And. And that was incredibly important. They they also deliberately made a choice to not emphasise offerings in their crusades, even though they needed to pay for it. They made it not; it wasn't a big deal for them. They didn't try and push asking for money from the people. Second area was sex. That they made it. Let me read you a quote from Billy Graham's biography. He said this: "We pledged among ourselves to avoid any situation that would have even the appearance of compromise or suspicion." And from that day on, I did not travel, meet, or eat alone with a woman other than my wife. It's pretty high standard. He, he, would, he, would, he would never go in a room by himself. Uh, he would never, in a, in, a, in a hotel, he would always have someone go in ahead of him in case there was a compromising situation. He, he just did not want to have any possible mud, mud thrown at him or any possible grounds of accusation. He was squeaky clean. When it came to church... The manifesto they, they said was that they would always work in partnership with local churches and they would always speak well of local church leaders. Their fourth area of their manifesto was publicity. They made a choice to never exaggerate the numbers or the effect that God was having in people's lives, but always to be, to, to be very accurate in their reporting of how the crusades went. Fantastic. And actually when I think of Billy Graham, I think of Daniel. Do so you look at Daniel, he had he was a team of four. Daniel had, it was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you see them in the different chapters. They, they operate together. Also, you see Daniel had these incredibly high standards of integrity. We just read in Daniel 6 that when people tried to bring an accusation against him, there was absolutely, there was nothing. There was no mud could stick. There was just nothing they could have on this guy apart from his faith. Uh, you, you see how he had this incredible um, Ministry that lasted for, Billy Graham died 99 years old. Daniel died nearly 90 years old. Again, a longevity of ministry. And just as Billy Graham influenced many, many presidents, so Daniel outlasted five kings in Babylon and in Persia. He, he lived through the reigns of five monarchs in these world empires. So Daniel... Chapter 6, we see this moment when Daniel's now in his elderly years, even though we're only halfway through the book of Daniel, Daniel's now in his mid to late 80s, and he's just walking with God, carrying responsibility and making a difference. And I'm going to just take some of the verses that Linda's read, and this is in the New International Version. I'm just going to jump into some of the verses and pull out some of the principles I see in the life of Daniel. Verse five, it said this, finally, these men said, we will never get any, find any, any basis for charges against Daniel, this man Daniel, unless it's something to do with the law of his God. Daniel was just walking with such an integrity, they knew that the only way we're going to get any mud in this guy is if somehow or another we can use his faith, which he's so clear on, against them. Daniel walked with integrity. Someone said that reputation arrives on foot, but departs, on a fast horse. You can spend years working on uh, on the basis of an integrity, but then in a moment of craziness, you can lose a reputation of a lifetime. It arrives, it walks slowly, in, but it, it leaves on a fast horse. Reputation can go instantly. And Daniel knew this, and Daniel walked with uh, uh, integrity before God. Billy Graham's levels of integrity. We see Daniel's levels of integrity. And as a result, we, as a church, we've made some standards of our own. So we have 21 people on staff and we have about 150 leaders overseeing different small groups and teams and departments across our locations. And here's the rules. When it comes to our staff and operating with the opposite sex, we will never have meetings alone with someone from the opposite sex in the building or in a room. And so if you're married, we'll just have that as a standard. I will never give a lift to a girl in my car. Uh, unless she's my wife, she's allowed in the car with me. Uh, we just deliberately put in place, we preempt any potential issues. We, when it comes to finances, we, we have strict policies on how we handle finances. We have a strict auditing procedure, we're, we're, we're rigorous on our bookkeeping. Uh, our, finan- our, our salary setting, I never set my own salary. We set other people's salaries based on advice from a team of people who are in the business world who give us advice uh, in our church, and we we set salaries based on what is the appropriate levels. Uh, So I I can say before God, we're handling finance as well. When it comes to um, other areas of integrity, all of our staff have Covenant Eyes internet monitoring on their computers, including me. So all of our internet browsing is observed. So I think Graham gets my report on my internet browsing. And every so often he'll come to me and say, Pete, what was that you looked at? And I'll have to say, I don't know what that was. So I'll have to check, and maybe some pop up popped up or something like that. But good news everyone's internet monitoring is being monitored. We also encourage uh, proactive accountability so that if, if anyone's got a struggle, whether it be in an area of finance, an area of uh, addiction, an area of uh, sexual integrity or any areas that you have a struggle with. We encourage people to be honest. We don't have a culture where you cannot be honest about exactly where you're at. We want people to live with an integrity and an honesty before God. The devil's a bad devil and he wants to take you out. He will look for every chink in your armor to try and ruin your life and cause a reputation of a lifetime to go in an instant and, and, and minimize your fruitfulness and effectiveness in life. But God has better for you than that. They knew Darius, this Persian king, had a weakness and the Persian king, his weakness was his ego. So the idea of everyone praying to him for 30 days, okay, I'll sign for that one. But when it came to Daniel, they knew Daniel had a strength and his strength was his utter conviction. So they took the ego of a king and the strength of his governor and they came up with this plot to trap Daniel. They knew that Daniel would be in trouble. They were convinced this, is, this will bound to get Daniel in trouble because they just knew he's not going to compromise on God. They knew he was so clear in that. And you know what you discover as you go throughout the Bible, but also in life, is that darkness always reacts to light. Always happens. Darkness and light always react against each other. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 15. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will persecute you also. They hated me without reason. As a quote from the Old Testament, Jesus quotes the Old. Another way of saying it is, they hated me without a cause. A lot of people react against believers. And they don't even know why they're reacting against it. There's something, in, I guess, in in the spiritual realm that creates a reaction, darkness, against light. If you want an easy life, don't follow Jesus. But you want to have an awesome life, a courageous life, a life where you're living for the glory and honor of God, then follow Jesus. And that would be the best choice you could ever make, become a follower of Jesus. I've been... um, Recently, been doing a whole lot of work on church history because I'm giving a series of lectures at our Destiny College, our, our leadership course, uh, on church history, and I find it absolutely fascinating down through the generations, looking at how people have courageously lived for God, despite many, many times the huge opposition they faced. One guy stands out, and, I, and again, this guy came to mind as I was thinking about uh, Daniel tonight. It's a man called Polycarp, and he lived, and he lived from seventy. To 156 AD. Polycarp was the bishop of a place called Smyrna, which is in modern day Turkey. And he was mentored by the famous Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples. The Romans decided that they were gonna hold their their games, their Olympic Games, in Smyrna in honor of the emperor. And as part of the games for entertainment, many Christians were being fed to wild animals that were let loose in the arena. And the crowds were loving it. They were crying for blood. And it wasn't long before the crowd started calling for the blood of the famous Bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp. The Bishop of Smyrna, very like Daniel, uh, was probably the same age Daniel was at this moment. He was 86 years old. And the soldiers were dispatched to go and bring uh, Polycarp in. And they went to his house, which was on the outskirts of the city. This little cottage. They knocked the door, and Polycarp answered. And they said, eh, "We are looking for Polycarp." Now they didn't know who Polycarp was, so he, he could have just bluffed and said, well, "I don't know who he is," and <laughs> and walked out. In fact, the, uh, the 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 record says that one of his friends said that he had said that he was tempted, very tempted, just to deny that he knew any anyone by that name. But instead, he he said, "I am Polycarp," and he held out his wrists to the chains and they chained him and they took him chains to the arena and in front of the cheering crowds and the emperor um, they were expecting him to be put to death the emperor seeing that he was an old man he said to him uh, and i quote have pity on your white hairs just curse christ and you can return to your cottage When urged to recant, Polycarp simply said this. For 86 years, I have been Christ's servant. He has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? So they tied him to a stake and they lit a bonfire under him. The winds blew out the flames. Finally, a soldier came over and killed him with a dagger into the heart. He died aged 86, same age as Daniel in these verses. How could I blaspheme my king who saved me? So I want you to be envious of Polycarp. Not of how he died. I mean, who wants to die like that? But I want you to be envious of the relationship he had with God. I mean, that's special. And I, I just want to say... Here we are in a materialistic, consumeristic, Western world where that kind of courage is sneered at. I'm telling you, knowing God like that, you're really alive and you have eternal life. So I just want to throw out there that maybe tonight you don't yet know God or maybe you know him in a vague, shallow way. And tonight I'm just throwing out there, I want you to have, I I, I don't, I'm, I'm saying this for your sake. I don't want you to have some lightweight faith that would give in at the, at the slightest pressure. Or when things ain't going well in life, you figure, oh, well, stuff God. Man, that's such a consumeristic thing. We, we kind of, we, we like God when everything's going our way and we forget Him when everything's not going our way, what? Come on, God doesn't change. Just be solid, turn to God, give your entire life to him. Don't hold anything back. Be a passionate, faith-filled follower of Jesus Christ. He will never abandon you. Why would you want to abandon him? He gave everything for you. Why don't you just give everything for him? I'm, I'm, he died for you courageously. Why don't you live for him courageously? Jesus Christ is alive. He's in this room by his spirit. And he called you tonight to become a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying giving him a little bit of your life. I'm not saying just give him a little bit. I'm saying give him all your life. It will be the best decision. It will, it's what, that's one decision you will look back on and say, I can never regret that one. Make a choice to give God everything that is of yours. Your whole life, your whole future. And you know What will happen? You think you've given it away, but you'll get back life in abundance. You'll get the best life an eternal life. You know, you need to guard your heart. What we see in these verses is there's a bunch of guys and they just had it in for Daniel. Do You ever wonder what's going through someone's minds that brings them to the place where they want to turn against one of God's people? Obviously, somehow or another, they were sa- they were partnering with the devil. the devil was manipulating the situation to try and take out Daniel. so what would it be that would make a human being susceptible to the manipulation of spiritual darkness? What would make someone 's soul vulnerable to that kind of manipulation and let me just make this very, very clear: Satan needs permission to operate in partnership with you and this, this, this is one of the great keys that you see in the Bible that one of the the keys, the negative keys that will expose someone to that kind of manip- manipulation is pride and jealousy. Listen to what it says in James chapter 3, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. So obviously these guys were jostling for position. They didn't want this God-fearing man, Daniel, having any authority or position in the, re- in, in the province. So they they had this jealousy, they had this personal selfish ambition, and that was the chink in the armor that Satan got his wedge in and made way for some terrible plot to be hatched, which actually resulted in in their downfall. But you need to understand that there needs to be a a predisposition within a human soul to allow Satan to start operating in that way. And one way is pride and selfish ambition. So you've got pride and selfish ambition. And do you know what can happen in churches? I've seen people in churches getting arrogant or becoming full of pride and selfish ambition. As soon as you get that, the the devil has a field day. Great leaders are humble leaders. Great leaders are God-promoting, not self-promoting leaders. Great leaders will submit to God's plan, not promote their plan. That keeps you spiritually safe. We also see it in Judas. Judas. The way Satan was able to manipulate Judas was he had a chink in his armor. It was called the love of money. That became the way in which Satan could drive a wedge and create havoc. So guard your heart. Let's go back to the verses. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. If laws had been passed that contradicted your convictions, what would you do? If a law of the land was passed that required you to live in a way that was contrary to your conviction, what would you do? You know, as Christians, as believers, the Bible teaches us that we've got to honor our the authorities in the land, pray for those in government, do our pay our taxes, be good citizens. We should be a blessing to our land, But there comes a point where if laws are passed, which contradicts the laws of God and the convictions that God has placed in our hearts, then we are conscience-bound to obey a higher authority than the law of the land, not out of arrogance or out of rebellion, but out of a deep honor for God himself. And this is exactly what happened with Daniel here. He appealed to the higher authority. And notice it says he got down and he's not praying saying, oh God, get me out of this. What's he doing? It says, it says what he's praying about. He was praying and giving thanks to God. Do you see that? He was worshipping. He wasn't just praying about his bad situation. He was just worshipping the God who doesn't change. Worshipping the God who's just on the throne. Worshipping the God who can get him out of this predicament. Isn't that amazing? Just like in the New Testament, when Paul and Silas found themselves in a prison, they were worshiping God in the prison, and boom, the the prison doors blew open. Worship and praise opens up the way for God to intervene and step in. Sometimes the last thing you want to do is say, thank you, God, when the situation is shouting everything but thank you, God. But in your heart, you're saying, thank you, God. That's sometimes the greatest way for you to break through in those adverse circumstances. He was praying and thanking God. And it says, just as he had done before. So here's Daniel. He's praying three times a day, just as he had done before. Daniel arrived in Babylon probably 14 to 16 years old. We see Daniel chapter 1, he's 14 to 16 years old. And what's he doing? He's living for God. Daniel chapter 2, he and his friends are praying and God gives them a, a miraculous dream. You can read it in your own time, but he's praying. So from a teenager, Daniel's praying. Now he's in his mid 80s, at 70 years have passed. And what's he doing? He's praying just as he's done before. 70 years of three times a day praying. That's pretty awesome. He just set the course God's my source. I'm going to seek him every day of my life. And he did so for seven decades. I love that. Awesome. And you see him, he's praying three times a day for 70 years. And what's he doing? He's, he's got his window open towards Jerusalem. Now, what that tells me is this, he's, he's a Bible-based prayer. What, how do I get that? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon prayed and said, God, whenever one of your people or your people are, have found themselves taken away as captives into a foreign land, and they turn towards Jerusalem and they pray, would you hear from heaven, God? So here's Daniel. He's been 70 years as a slave in exile in a place called Babylon. And he's doing exactly what the Bible told him to do. Turn back, face Jerusalem, and pray to God. Now, these days, that's irrelevant for us. We pray in the name of Jesus. God's house is no longer in one geographical location. God's house has gone viral. It's become a people all over this world. The people of God is the house of God. That's where God dwells. His dwelling is among us. And therefore, we don't pray to any particular direction. We pray in the name of Jesus. But what I love is here, Daniel asked and prayed. He was persistently praying biblical prayers for 70 years. And I just want to urge you, be people of prayer. Be people who pray persistently. Be, and what would kind of fuel that kind of persistence? I'll tell you what would fuel that persistence is a deep conviction that God is really good. A deep conviction that God is for us. A deep conviction that God has plans that are better than the stuff you're seeing around you. A deep conviction for that. I pray and petition God every day for certain things. You know, every day, I pray actually similar things every day because they haven't happened yet. And I'm just going to keep praying until they do happen. For example, I'm praying for an awakening in our lands. I'm praying for people to wake up from their spiritual dwam and and wake up to the reality of there is a God. I, I, I want to see atheists becoming believers I want to see people who are far from God coming close to God. I want to see people who walked away from God coming back to faith in God and just coming alive and having eternal life. I'm praying for that kind of stuff. I'd suggest you pray the same. Anyone up for it? Anyone up for it? Yeah, let's let's pray like that. And Jesus said, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, Uh, knock and keep on knocking. There's a persistence that God wants in our praying. And I, I really believe that prayer is incredibly important. God operates through our praying. God wants to do great things, but he has given planet earth to the human race like a landlord has given keys to a tenant. And so the landlord can't just step into the house anytime he wants. The tenant must give permission to the landlord to come in. And so it's exactly the same way prayer works. God has given planet earth to the human race. And The human race has fallen away from God, but we are the redeemed community among the human race, and God calls the redeemed community to call on God to do exactly what God wants to do in this time-space world. Our praying is important. John Wesley said this, God does nothing except in answer to prayer. Jesus told us to pray. When you pray, pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven apparently God's will being done on earth is contingent on us asking him to do the very thing that God wants to do. God's not reluctant. This is not about twisting God's arm up behind his back. This is about us aligning ourselves to the will of God and seeing the will of God become reality in the time space world. And I'm just going to keep on asking him to do it until I see it happening. So become persistent praying, prayers. Let's believe for the great things. Coming back to Billy Graham, Of all those crusades that went on and all the impact he had and the millions of people who came to faith, one of the -the behind-the-scenes stories that many people don't know about was a lady by the name of Pearl Goody. Here she is. Uh, That's her there. She's got very, very cool glasses, very retro cool glasses. And she died in 1972. And the thing that was amazing about Pearl Goody is that every year in November, she phoned the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association to ask where Billy Graham was going to be going. She asked for the detailed schedule of Billy Graham's crusades for that year. Every year, without fail, in November, she asked for the schedule of where he was going to be preaching. And she would arrive two weeks ahead of Billy Graham arriving in those cities, and she would hire a hotel room, and for two weeks, she would be interceding and praying for the crusade in the two weeks leading up to every one of Billy Graham's crusades. And she did that, for 45 to 50 years in secret. <laughs> so not only has she got very retro cool glasses, but she is a firebrand for Jesus. How amazing is that? I, I, don't, I don't believe there's any accident that Billy Graham's crusades were so hugely effective. I'm sure there are many other unknown heroes behind the scenes who called on God to do the great things through Billy Graham. And God wants to do great things in our city and in our region Got exciting things in the horizon, like with the turning and with uh, the big out- Easter outreach in the Ross Bandstand. Anyone excited about that? Oh, it's going to be good. It's, it, it will not be like today's weather. It'll be, it'll be like the Bahamas. It's going to be amazing. Let's just pray for sunshine, or or at least not snow. Um, daily praying. Just pray daily with me. Just, just would you do me a favor? Just pray with me every day for an awakening in this land. Let's just petition heaven in unity every day until God breaks through and does what God wants to do in our land, and I believe He will. Verse sixteen says, "So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den." This is after you know the the malicious people, the vindictive people had said, "Okay, King Daniel hasn't obeyed your command," and so King who was the king who was bound to his own words gave the order, and had Daniel thrown into the lion's den, and the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, say continually, rescue you. You know, I would rather be in a spiritually good place and in a physically bad place than I would being in a physically good place yet being in a spiritually bad place. As a human being, You're far better in a spiritually good place, no matter what your circumstances are. Daniel was in that place. I love how the king referred to Daniel. He says, may your God who you serve continually rescue you. Daniel didn't just serve God in the good times. He didn't just serve God when the crowd was with him. He served God when he was the lone voice. He served God in the bad times. He served God not just when people see. He served God even when no one was looking. Daniel served God continually. And I just want to encourage you. Don't play with God. Don't play with religion. Don't pretend to be a Christian on the surface. Be a radical believer who even if no one's looking, you're walking with God. Just walk with God for God's sake. Not just for anyone else's sake. For God's sake. For the God who sees. For, for the, live, live for the audience of one. Live with a passion to please him. And I tell you what, you will not regret that life. And then he goes on and says in, in verse 26, I issue a decree, and this is, this is after this miraculous delivery. God had got Daniel out of the lines then. God had rescued him from that. And it was an incredible moment. And then Darius makes this announcement, this proclamation to all the territories that he was in charge of. And this is what he says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. I love this. This is a great reversal. Remember at the beginning of the chapter, a decree was issued that no one should pray to any other God but the king for 30 days. And now here, the complete opposite of that is being decreed to the entire world. Isn't that amazing? What an incredible turnaround of events. Now the whole world's been asked to worship the true God. What an amazing turnaround of events. If it was all just for that, that would be worth it. Daniel, again, I've said this before, but Daniel served through the reign of five kings. And he brought two of those heathen kings to faith in the living God, Darius, and Nebuchadnezzar became worshippers of the true God. Daniel was a foreigner. He was a slave. And yet God used him to influence like this. Incredible. He turned the law around. And this is, this is what the Bible says. This is a promise to you if you're a believer. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know, in fact, you can read it with me. One, two, three. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Let's read it again, nice and loud. And we know that in all things, God works for the goods of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This is a promise from God. If you love God, you've got this calling according to his purpose, which you do, then the Bible promises that in all things, he will work things for your good. What an amazing promise even stuff like this even even stuff that went it looked like it was going terrible and then god turns it around great reversal happens and the opposite of what the devil intended happens i mean the ultimate example is the cross of jesus the devil thought that's it evil has triumphed i'll take out the son of god but in that incredible moment god took the negative trajectory of satan's activity And he turned it around to accomplish the greatest salvation, the greatest good that planet earth has ever seen. Satan didn't have the upper hand. Satan was defeated. Sin didn't have, wickedness didn't have its upper hand. Wickedness and sin was dealt with in one moment as the Son of God paid the price for the sin of the world so that we could be declared righteous and forgiven and acceptable before God. Incredible, the great reversal. God works all things for the good. So if you're going through some stuff, you love God, you know his purpose in your life, The promise of God to you is this. He will work it for the goods. He will turn it around for your goods. Isn't that good news? What a promise. In all things. All things. That would include the stuff you're going through. In in, in India, we've got about 1,500 destiny churches in central eastern India. In Arissa, or it's now called Odisha, that's a state, and Pradesh. And you know, actually, what took place there was quite remarkable. If you, if you go on Google and type in persecution in Orissa, you'll come up with a whole lot of articles round about between 2007 and 2009 when there was all these uh, terrible atrocities taking place against Christians. And many, many pastors were martyred, and many churches were burned, and tens of thousands of Christians literally ran for their lives and hid in the forested uh, rural areas. Before that persecution, we had an orphanage and a church in that state. Our pastor there, who himself had been an orphan, Solomon, uh, had grown up in the faith, and he was now leading the orphanage. He'd been publicly stoned three times during this period. Kept walking with God. On the back of that persecution, we've now got 1,500 churches. (laughs) Mind blowing. It looked like it was a devastating blow on the local church. So and that's just destiny churches. I know that Operation Mobilization with the Church of the Good Shepherd, they're seeing rapid advance, especially among the Dalit peoples. There's many other church movements that are seeing exactly the same results. But for our part, we went from just it was about half a dozen destiny churches in that rural area in eastern central India to all of a sudden after persecution, which was designed to take out the church it resulted in us having about 1500 churches in that area now it's incredible god works all things for the good it's the great reversal and he did it in many play in the book of acts he did it with saul who was the greatest persecutor of the local church all of a sudden gets saved and he becomes the greatest propagator of the local church god turns things around so i don't know what you're going through but i know there's a promise in this book about you i don't i i i i don't I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how God will work out for you. I don't know how things will turn around in your situation, even when it looks so bleak and so final. But the great news is this. God promises that in all things, he will cause things to work around for your good. Isn't that good news? Say amen if you agree. Overwhelming. Thank you, folks. You guys are so quiet tonight. Okay. Verse 27. Verse 27. He rescues and he saves. This is Darius' great proclamation to the known world. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He He has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. This is Darius now preaching the gospel to the known world telling the known world that there is one God who rescues and saves and I just want to tell you that tonight there is a God in heaven who rescues and saves you don't need to be lost because God wants to be your savior he wants to rescue you and yet he might rescue you physically and he does do that God does miraculous rescues like this but the even greater rescue than rescuing you from a lion's then you think, well, what could be greater than that? I'll tell you what could be greater than that. He can rescue from the clutches of Satan. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The devil is against you. And you might be thinking, Peter, surely you're not so unsophisticated that you believe in that kind of hocus pocus. I do. C.S. Lewis said that the devil has two tactics and he's very, very happy with either, either one working out. That either people cease to believe in him or become obsessed with him. He's happy with either extreme. If people don't believe in him, the devil's quite happy. If they become obsessed with him, the devil's quite happy. But both are the work of the devil. There is a spiritual realm. There are powers at work in this world, manipulating situations. And it's not like the devil's in everything, but the devil certainly is active. And I want to tell you, you have an enemy to your soul. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not the Lord's, he has rights over you. He has authority over you. That's a very dangerous, spiritually dangerous place to be. The reason Jesus Christ became a man was to gain back authority on behalf of mankind from the devil. And when Jesus died on that cross and shed his blood, he made it possible for human beings to be freed from their slave master, to serve God, to be forgiven for your sins, to be saved from hell, and to be set free from Satan's dominion. Becoming a believer is literally changing kingdoms. You moving The Bible says you're moving out from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son in whom he loves. You need a regime change in your life. You need a true God, a living God, a God who loves you. The devil's quite happy even if you ignore him and don't believe in him. As long as you don't trust Jesus as your savior. But the good news is this. God wants to save you from that lion. And that lion truly wants to devour you, not just physically, but in every way, wants to ruin you spiritually. But Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross and resurrected, he defeated defeated Satan, sin, and death, your three arch enemies. And you can be free from all three by trusting Jesus Christ, the one who is alive, forevermore, risen from the dead. Hey, you are alive. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. In other words, it doesn't mean you don't sin. It just means your agenda is not sinful anymore. You don't want to live a life of sin. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. When you become a believer, you move under the covering of God. Spiritually, you're covered. Whatever falls doesn't touch you, spiritually speaking. And here the Bible says that you are children of God and the Son of God holds you, and the devil cannot even touch you because you're under covering. But the Bible teaches that the enemy is like a roaring lion. He will try and roar and intimidate. Intimidation is often his tactics. You know, the devil can't, if you're a believer, the devil can't touch you, but here's what he will do. He will try and intimidate you so much so that you freak out and you run out from under the covering yourself. You take fright and jump out from under the covering. He can't touch you because you're undercover. But if you can remove yourself from that covering by operating in fear or by being intimidated to the point where you're... Absolutely consumed with worry, or by luring you into addictive behavior, and he's got you entrapped. As soon as you can jump out of that covering yourself, the devil can have a field day in your life. But you need to understand God has provided you with a covering, and I just want to encourage you to stay under that covering. The Bible says if you're God's so you just keep walking with Him. Don't make a practice of sinning. Just keep walking with Jesus, and He will keep you, and the evil one will not even touch you. That's what the Bible says. He can roar at you. He will try and intimidate you. He will try to get you to move off your firm position in God. But just don't move. Daniel didn't move. Daniel just kept walking with God despite whatever intimidations were thrown his way. He didn't flinch. He didn't move. Just stand. Just walk. Just keep your eyes on him. Keep walking with Jesus. And I want you to know that God is a God who saves. That God saves. And He doesn't just save from physical lines. He saves from the enemy of your soul and he rescues you and he will continue to rescue you as you trust him. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for Daniel. Thank you for this man of courage, this man of faith, this man who, despite his incredibly adverse circumstances, he just kept walking with you. God, I pray that we will be like Daniel, that we will live that life of courage and conviction. That, God, we will not allow intimidation to come into our souls, but we will be a people who trust God. That we won't be fair-weather Christians, but we will, be, we will walk with you in the storms and in the good days. That, God, we will not be conditional Christians who we will follow you as, on the condition that you do what we would like. God, we'll just follow you unconditionally. I pray, God, we will be inspired by the courage of Daniel and also the continuance of Daniel. Thanks, God, for his persistent praying. God, I pray that you would raise up an army of consistent prayers. The world changes as God's people pray. And I pray, God, give us the consistency to pray. In fact, I want to pray that over you folks just now. Just in your own heart, ask God to help you to be a person of prayer. Not just to dabble with prayer, but to become a, a, a real ground taker in prayer. Pray that that would be the case for you. God, I just pray that over this congregation. Let this be a church of people who pray and see things shift on planet earth through our praying in Jesus name just respond to God just if there's something that's in these verses just stood out to you and and maybe stirred you in some way just respond to God talk to him about that I want to give you an opportunity while everyone else is praying if you're here tonight And you don't yet know God. God loves you and actually God knows you better than you know yourself. And when Jesus died on that cross, he died for you. He loves you more than you'll ever love yourself and he knows you better than you know yourself. And he's here right now and tonight he calls you to become a follower of Jesus. Tonight he calls you to be a disciple. If that's you tonight, you're saying, Peter, I want to put my trust in Jesus. I want him to be my savior. I want to be his eternally. Then I invite you very simply to pray this prayer with me just now. Under your breath, one line at a time, pray with me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your amazing love for me. Jesus, thank you for being willing to come into this world. And you died on that cross to rescue me. Thank you for paying the price so I could be forgiven. And then thank you on the third day for rising again. Tonight, I put my faith in you. Tonight, I ask you to be my savior. Tonight, I turn away from living sinfully and I choose to live your way instead. Jesus, I believe you're alive. And tonight, I make a choice that you would be Lord of my life from now on. And I will follow you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. and accepting me as your child.